minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Launch pod. 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 Welcome to the first episode of Launch Pod, where you can hear all about creative careers in astronomy and space science. I'm your host, Vanessa, and today I'm at Canberra's Deep Space Communications Complex with their education, outreach and communications team, Glenn Nagel and Corinne McDonald. Now, Glenn, tell me a bit more about your job. What do you do on a day-to-day basis? Well, I'm the Education and Outreach Manager at the tracking station. So I look after all our visitor services on site, with about 70,000 people a year visiting, and school students who visit us, about 12,000 who come along to learn a little bit more about space and astronomy, from your primary school to high school students and some tertiary as well. And also look after all our media work and internal external communications, any visiting VIPs that need meetings or attention, I get to do it all. I think like a lot of people in, in our industry tend to do six or seven jobs at the same time. And I've seen your face on Sunrise as well, so that must be a pretty cool job to have. It's always fun, yes, uh, taking the, the mickey out of David Koch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can imagine. So tell us a bit more about what the Deep Space Network actually is. The Deep Space Network is part of NASA's network of antennas around the world. Three stations located here in Canberra, one in California in the United States and one in Spain. And between the three of us, we provide 24-hour coverage of all of out there talking to all the different spacecraft that are exploring planets, moons, asteroids, and comets, and deep space telescopes looking at the rest of the universe. So we kept busy every day sending commands to the spacecraft so they know where to go, what to do, and to get all that information back and send it off to a whole bunch of anxious scientists around the world. <laughs> that, that does sound pretty amazing. So was there a point in your education or maybe part of a previous career where you thought, I just really want to work in the space industry? I was very lucky. I uh, was born in 1961, so I was born into the space age mm -hmm. and watched all those fantastic first flights into Earth orbit and then, of course, the journeys to the moon. So, you, so you're part of that generation that myself and probably Corinne are just insanely jealous of, where you actually remember when people first stepped on the moon. Like, to me, that's something that I've always, always known, but I can imagine it would have been amazing. Yeah, and I think I probably found that particular event of Armstrong stepping on the moon as one of the most inspiring moments and it's certainly one of the great moments of the 20th century and not realizing for a moment at that time when I was watching it on the black and white television that those pictures were actually coming to the world courtesy of Canberra and our other tracking station that was once here in Canberra Honeysuckle Creek that antenna of course that bought those pictures not the dish at parks you're telling me it wasn't the dish at parks <laughs> it wasn't parks they wow. came in they came in later in the broadcast <laughs> but that that dish that was once in Honeysuckle Creek is now here at this tracking station. And every day I get to look out my window right here and there's that dish that brought back those pictures. So there's this interesting link for me of, you know, growing up into that space age, watching that amazing moment and now being able to work in the industry to come and watch, you know, the sheep and the cows graze in the local hills and look out to the dish that made that moment that inspired me possible. And I, I do believe that you have an artefact in your office about that moment in recognition of your, your TV coverage. Uh, I might actually take a photo of it and put it on our website for some people to have a look at, but tell us what it is. Yeah, this is actually a thing, it's called a Penguin Award and it was presented from the Television Association of Australia and this is kind of like the pre-Logies era. 
and this was it's kind of like the logies of its day and it was presented to the then department of supply uh, who managed the tracking stations in the act at the time and was given to them for their work in delivering those broadcasts of those first television images of Armstrong and Aldrin walking on the moon. So it's kind of like us having a Logie sitting behind me. <laughs> <laughs> it is bright and shiny, so I, yes. I do like it very much. So, Corinne, you have a bit of a different background to Glenn. Would you like to tell us what inspired you to start working in the space industry? Um, I, in high school, I was very interested in physics and maths, and uh, my brother bought a telescope and I started enjoying amateur astronomy. So when it became, came to looking what to study at university with the maths and physics enjoyment and being good at them, I looked at astronomy as a career. And so I did um, undergrad and I uh, ended up doing a PhD in astronomy, but found out I'm actually not so interested in the research side of things. Uh, right throughout my uh, university career, I was working at our university's planetarium and observatory and found I really much preferred doing the outreach and education side of things. So I've ended up in this area. And just talking to people about space all yeah, day long. exactly. That does sound pretty exciting. So, Glenn, what's your educational background? I, I actually don't have any formal background in science. You know, I was just a keen student. Um, I was sort of blessed. I did have a, a really good maths teacher. And I think it, I, I kind of credit that maths teacher for making me excited about not only mathematics and how a beautiful thing it is mm. uh, as a as sort of a language, but then also other areas of science, how that all worked in there. And I just ended up loving the, you know, the intricacy of, you know, how all this works, you know, and the maths behind it. And I kind of just continued in that area, just having that interest born into it, continued it through school. And then... I found the one thing that was the thing that got me into the area I'm in now was that I was born at a time where I wanted to be an astronaut as a kid but couldn't go and do it. So I decided what I wanted to do was to tell the next generation what they could do to actually achieve a lofty goal, you know, to be an astronaut or be a scientist and do those sorts of things. You know, I just I was the wrong place, wrong time, wrong age and I want somebody else to do it. So correct me if I'm wrong, but liking maths and thinking that maths is really cool can lead you to having a Logie on your desk and being on Sunrise every other week. <laughs> In a strange way, yes. I really like that connection. That's fantastic. It is. It, it's, I, think, I think that the thing, when I've, when I've had the opportunity to talk to astronauts and I've asked them, you know, what got you to be an astronaut? What things, you know, what advice do you give? to people who want to follow a career like that or go into any area of science. And they always say, well, I think you should learn two languages. Oh, great, what are the languages? And they said, well, first you need to be able to um, write and speak your own language well. And the other language you need to learn is mathematics. And if you can combine the two and express complex things, you know, to an audience or to you know, your professor or, you know, to work out some thesis, or, you know, something to be able to combine all these things, then that will take you anywhere. 
you know, you can, you can almost, as one astronaut said to me, you can dumb your way through anything. And, and I think that you should learn a third language, possibly something like JavaScript, so you can write apps for people to access space and astronomy information on their phones. Well, yes, in the modern age, yes, we definitely need to have the apps. Yeah, so, so I think three languages, but that, that's a cool story. So you have worked at the Deep Space Network Tracking Station here for 10 years, for a whole decade. What are some career highlights been for you? in this time? Wow, uh, so many. I think that the great things for me have been all these major mission moments we've been involved in in the time I've, I've been here and that's the, the Cassini mission arriving in orbit around Saturn. You know, we were the station that handled communications for that, for the landing of the Huygens probe on Saturn's large moon Titan and probably my biggest and certainly they're my favourite mission at the moment at least, uh, the Mars Exploration Rovers, you know, Spirit and Opportunity landing on the surface of Mars back in, in January 2004. And that was a stunning moment. And I remember it very, very clearly having a, a group of high school students here on that day. It was about 200 of them, uh, all sort of year nine, 10 students, uh, sitting in our auditorium, watching live feed from NASA and seeing this moment when these rovers landed on the surface. And for them, that was their moon landing moment. You know, many of them expressed sort of mm. say, I never I thought I'd get to see us going on another world live. And that's something, you know, like you expressed before, you, you you weren't the generation to watch Armstrong walk on the moon. You've seen it afterwards. Corinne and I probably weren't the generation, definitely weren't the generation <laughs> to, to watch Armstrong walk on the moon. But I must admit, uh, please don't judge me on this, but I did cry when the Mars Science Lab launched last year. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that was my Apollo no, moment. Maybe that was your moment as well. But I think that that's great. It was for a big moment. Yeah, I think it's great for people to have those sorts of moments. Something yeah. that they can say, that's the moment that inspired me to go off and you know work in that particular area of that industry, or to just believe in themselves that they could themselves you know achieve something that's absolutely incredible. Mm, definitely. So, Corinne, what excites you about space science and about astronomy? I have to say, first of all, the pretty pictures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's what caught me into it on the amateur side of thing, and it still keeps me here on yeah. the professional side yeah. of it. And I mean, I, I love seeing kids engaged with what you talk to them about. Um, just some of the science that we bring back from these things, it's just amazing what we're learning. Um, I, I love the pretty pictures, but it does go a little bit deeper than that sometimes too. Yes, yeah. definitely, definitely. <laughs> but I, I like that personally about astronomy because people can engage on so many levels. If you don't understand what's happening in it, you can look at the pretty pictures and appreciate them for what exactly. they are. Yeah. Exactly, definitely. So, Glenn, how would you like to see your field in education and communications and outreach develop in the future? For me personally, yeah, I would. I would what are your dreams? My dreams. I, I would certainly like to continue doing this for a little while. I think because I have been working in the science communication area on and off for about thirty years, doing lots of other careers in between, and I've done some weird things over the years. But uh, I, I would love to see the opportunity for to be around long enough to at least see one of the kids that I've talked to actually go off and achieve something amazing. And I have seen some hints of that with, with a, a student I, I helped to mentor when he was in his teenage years. And I went off to see a talk. He was at university 
and he was doing this talk about a project he was working on on satellites and I kind of got there late and I sat, sat at the back of the room and he got to the end of his talk and he you know excited giving thanks to a few people who influenced him in, in his career and you know thanked his mom thanked his dad and he didn't know I was there and he suddenly said oh and I'd like to thank this guy called Glenn Nagel and it was like you're sitting there and it kind of shrinks suddenly the back of the room and you think, <laughs> oh my gosh, I had that impact. And I think that that's what I'd like to see for in the future. I, I, I have no particular interest in, in achieving anything more myself. You know, I think I've done a lot of great things uh, over the years that I've really enjoyed and I can kind of hang my hat on and say, good job there. But being able to see somebody else go off and carry the flame on, that's what I'd like to see. And maybe you can achieve a few name drops for, from some really influential people like that. Yeah, I, I, that's fine. Look, if we can get somebody who came here one day and you know, is the first person to walk on Mars, as long as they uh, wave and send money, I'll be happy. <laughs> so do you have any advice to aspiring astronauts? <sighs> Learn the two languages. <laughs> know how to communicate. Know your maths. But I, the thing I always tell students is just find something that you love to do. Hmm. There is a lot more to space science than being an astronaut. Yeah, uh, we do a quiz survey. You know, kids are always asking us questions and we throw questions at them. You know, so I say, okay, how many of you like science? Oh, yeah, lots of hands go up. How many of you want to be a scientist? Uh, not many hands go up. And I say, but do you know what a scientist really is? You know, and they've got the perception of the white lab coat guy, you know. Um, but, you know, sci scientists are doctors and nurses and veterinarians and farmers and engineers and meteorologists and geologists and all these different things. And so they start to go, oh, wow, there's a whole lot of things that you can do in science. It's not just the white lab coat stuff. And they get to see that this is actually a bit of an adventure. You know, it's about exploring, and that's what humans do when we're at our absolute best. You know, we explore, we learn, we make discoveries. So I think that that's the, you know, the, the kids just need to find that thing that they like to do and I kind of got a, like a classic example, and Corinne knows this story really well, but I had a student one day say to me, she didn't want to do any of that sort of stuff. And I kind of said, well, what do you want to do? She says, I just want to teach ballet. I said, that's awesome. Well, you could, we use that in the exploration of space. And she, everybody was like, what? You know? And I said, well, male astronauts, when they're in space, they're actually really clumsy. You know, they float from one side of the spacecraft and crunch into the next wall. Female astronauts just glide from one place to the next. So all male astronauts are taught a bit of ballet, so they're not clumsy in space. She instantly had a job in the exploration of the universe. See, I love to scuba dive because I live in North Queensland, and that's another profession that's used in the training of astronauts to go into space and actually to, to practice doing some work and, and repairs and maintenance and things like that. Yeah, literally any job we do here on Earth you can do in space. Mm. And you get really cool titles. If you're a biologist on Earth, you're an astrobiologist in space. Physicist here, astrophysicist there. That's great. So, Corinne, if you could launch one thing into space, anything at all, what would it be? That is a hard question. Oh, Glenn's just indicated himself. <laughs> Are we sending that, that, could, that could be his answer. What would you like to send into space? Oh, jeez. I don't know. It's not something I've ever really thought about. Have another think and we'll come back to you. Glenn, what would you like to send into space? If, if I had the possibility to do it, I would really like to actually send the internet into space, but it's a space internet. Um, there's 
been a lot of talk about what could we do if we're going to go off to Mars, what's some low-cost ideas. And I would like to see a whole bunch of low-cost, simple little spherical nodes dropped all over the surface of Mars uh, and just linked up Wi-Fi. You could put, you know, tens of thousands of them all over the planet. So then any spacecraft we send there would be able to communicate instantly to any other spacecraft anywhere else on the planet and to all the spacecraft orbiting around Mars and get huge amounts of data back to Earth. That's what I like to say. Get the internet, which is such a cool thing here on Earth, but put it on Mars. That's a very cool idea. I'd like to go to Mars if it had the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as long as we can tweet from Mars, we're yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, that would be great. And anything that you'd like to send with the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Me. <laughs> Somebody's so, got to repair so, it. So, Corinne, your one wish can be to send Glenn and then, and then he can tweet back to you yes, using the internet. Yes, <laughs> and Corinne can take over the world. Yes. Fantastic. Well, Corinne and Glenn, thank you very much for your time and keep listening for the next episode of LaunchPod.